So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is... Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Jack Carr. Jack Carr is an author. He's a hunter. He's come out with some phenomenal books. And one of his books, The Terminal List, is about to be turned into an Amazon Prime premiere with Chris Pratt. What if he's asked Chris Pratt about being a hunter? Anyway, Jack Carr and I connected. And the reason I wanted Jack Carr on the podcast is because we have a connection to a place called Mozambique. He got the idea for one of his books in Mozambique, in a place called Nyasa, which is northern Mozambique. It's one of the jewels of wildlife conservation, and it is really proper Africa. And so I wanted to pick his brain. I also wanted to pick his brain about hunting and him being a vocal hunter on a platform like his that is getting more and more popular by the day. So, Jack Carr. Yeah, no, perfect, perfect. I don't know if you noticed it the other day, but, and you, uh, you may not know this, but at the end of every Blood Origins episode, this is what someone says. Everyone has their own story. This is mine. It's in the blood. Okay? So you look at me like that and nobody knows who I'm talking to right now. But, um, so we did, I had an Instagram post. Oh, I did a t-shirt collaboration with a strength coach out of Idaho big fan of Blood Origins. He said, I want to build a t-shirt. We're going to do like a, a collaboration. It's done brilliantly well. And um, it has a deer head with a DNA between the antlers. It's got a kettlebell in its mouth. <laughs> and then it's got this banner across the top of front of it and it says, in the blood. Nice. And someone went in and goes, ooh, are you not worried that Jack Carr in the blood is going to be <laughs> is going to be like mad or copyright infringement? I said, no, Jack Carr's a pretty big supporter of ours and loves what we do. I don't think he'd be mad with us calling it in the blood. No, I love it. I absolutely love it. That is awesome. That is fantastic. I didn't know that. That's great. So since we just talked about it, and I'm terrible typically of uh, introducing people, I, I get into a conversation right away, four or five minutes, and then... But obviously, Jack Carr, welcome to the Blood Origins Podcast. Man, thank you for having me on. I'm a uh, huge fan of what you're doing. Um, and so it's, a, it's an honor to be on here with you. And we'll love to have you on mine, too, and dig into to everything that you have going on, oh, your past, yeah, how you sure. got where you are. I'm excited for that. So. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, we're here yeah. at Safari Club. Safari Club International. So let me ask this. When did you decide? Because I think in, in hunting, we obviously have bad PR. We have bad perceptions, okay? Mainstreamers, dare I call you a mainstreamer, Jack Oh, wow. Um, are sometimes reluctant 
to say, I hunt, or I'm a hunter. Did it even cross your brain to like, I'm not going to, that's just not me, and I don't want to put that through my social media sort of output? Nope. Um, you know, I did take about a year just with a ghost social media account looking at Instagram because uh, in the SEAL teams, I had Facebook was invented while I was on active duty. Gotcha. Uh, MySpace before that, I remember a couple of years before that. Um, but I never had an account, any social media presence mm -hmm. whatsoever. Uh, and back then, I thought, you know, there's nothing good that can come from having this from a security standpoint. Uh, now it's different, actually. Now, if you come in or you go somewhere uh, under alias or whatever else, if you don't have a social media presence, it can spike. So things have, have shifted. Our intelligence agencies have to have to figure that out. Some of our more covert military units have to figure that piece mm -hmm. out. But, but I did go on social media for a full year. And I just looked, and I hunted, I followed a lot of hunting stuff. I followed stuff that I wanted to wanted to see sure, as sure. I was uh, as I was uh, checking things out, and uh, just kind of get used to it. What is a what is a like? What is a friend? <laughs> what is a thing? And then the story popped up. Thing. I'm like, what is a story? It's getting more confusing. Freaking classic uh, Navy so. SEAL who decided he wants <laughs> to get into social media. Yeah, full year, and I'm like, what do I like? What do I not like? Um, but the good part for me was that authenticity, and it's totally overused, but there's not a better word. For, for what resonates with people Agreed. Uh, these days. And I saw that that really um, made a big difference with uh, how people were able to engage with an audience. And I was like, well, that's good because I don't know how to be anything else but who I am. So I don't need to pretend to be somebody else. I don't mm -hmm. need to talk to a PR firm or my publicist mm -hmm. or anybody at Simon & Schuster. I just you know, you know go on and try to be as thoughtful as I possibly can be, which I try to be in my books, as I try to be in sure. every social media post or sure. every uh, interview, no matter what it is. Um, but I did look for a while, and yeah, it didn't really cross my mind not to um, not to say to, anything. Yeah, not to say anything. But uh, but I did think I'm gonna just be who I am, which is uh, trying to discuss issues or portray different uh, you know events or no matter what it is in a thoughtful in a thoughtful way. Yeah, I thought that's what I owe my audience. That's what I owe people right. who are spending their time mm -hmm. reading my books mm -hmm. or following me on social media. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. They have a limited amount of time on earth and they have no idea how long it's going to be. If they're right. going to be here tomorrow or they have 10 years or 50 years or whatever it is. And they've decided to spend that time in the pages of the books or following me on social right. media. And I took that as a responsibility because that's someone's life. That's their, that's the, t oh, the time they have on earth and they're choosing to read your post or read your book. And that's something I take extremely seriously. So uh, that's why I never just post a meme or do something to try to get a like or right. whatever. It's just uh, someone's trusting me with their most valuable asset. Uh, and I need to, to, to be a good arbiter of that time. And uh, that's a responsibility I take seriously. So no matter if it's a one sentence, a paragraph, or an entire book, that's, uh, I try to be as thoughtful it's as I can. It's funny you say that time is your mo most valuable asset. Do you, have you interacted or do you know the name Cuz Strickland? I don't think so. So, Cuz Strickland is essentially the grandfather of him and Will Primos. Oh. Have you heard of Will yeah. Primos? Oh, yeah. Cuz was Will's original cameraman when they both decided we needed to start hunting and filming turkey hunts. No kidding. They're the grandfathers of Southeast turkey hunting, okay. deer hunting, filming kind of deal. Okay. We filmed Cuz for Blood Origins and we titled his episode Time because he said exactly what you said. He said, when people come up to me and they interact with me, I want. I need to give them my most valuable asset, and that is time. Yeah. 
and um, yeah, it was a very resonating episode. Um, but it's funny you say that, and and I'll say this: your 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 rhetoric on this is why I'm going to post the way I'm going to post is rare, mm-hmm. because there are many, many, many people in the mainstream audience, one of which is featured in your new big television series. He posts about hunting, Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. He posts about it. He's not worried about getting cancelled. But there are another. There are 99 other Chris Pratts that hunt, and they say nothing. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered if we could get 100 of them mm-hmm. all at the same time Boom, I'm a hunter. Yep. Can't cancel a hundred of them. No, I heard you talking about this, what is it, this, earlier this week sometime. And yep. I, I put it in, of course, that goes right in my mind to, you know, my sniper brain. And uh, you're talking about one person comes up and they're, boom, canceled. And I'm thinking of it, okay, they walk, you know, they're walking across something and they get you know, get shot. Um, but, hey, a hundred of them run across all at once and a little harder to do that. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, God, it's such a crazy thing because uh, – you know, all these different people, whether it was Hollywood, whether it was sports, uh, whether it was finance, media, um, all these people came from a generation where you almost had to hunt. Absolutely. Like when their grandfather and great-grandfathers mm-hmm. were starting these different companies or mm-hmm. uh, starting a production company, starting a media company, whatever it might be. You know, they're coming out of the 1800s. They're coming into the 1900s. And, you know, people are working. Then they hit the Depression. Um, so there's this history of, of hard work and being connected to the land. Right. And then, I mean... You know, everybody faces adversity, so I don't want to make it seem like then we hit easy street after World War II. Right. Um, you know, that generation came back, though. But then they got back to industrial work. Industrial revolution mm-hmm. and technology and, you know, I think it's convenience. Life convenience mm-hmm. started becoming a priority for people. Yeah. And that's just it is. You can go get your meat in the grocery store now. You know, it doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a face. It doesn't, you're not connected you anymore. You didn't put the work in to getting that meat. I mean, you put the work in to make your money to go to the mm-hmm. grocery store, but there's very little difference between grabbing that can of SpaghettiOs and grabbing that the meat that's packaged in the in that, that section. Um, but it's so interesting how fast things can change. And then also, as we've seen over this last year, how fragile society is and how it can crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people used to be called labeled conspiracy theorists that thought that way or talked that way or prepared a little bit. Oh, you prepare a little bit, you're a prepper. Sure. Well, yeah, I remember right at the beginning of COVID when how worried everybody was and mm-hmm. worried about being able to go to the grocery store. What are we going to do? And uh, so in the interviews I did around that time, which was when my third novel was coming out, Savage Sun, um, and that was a time when... The publisher didn't couldn't look back 20 years or 10 years and say, this is what we did in the last pandemic when a big <laughs> book was coming out. So I had to just kind of scramble and figure right. it out. And so right. I framed the release of that book really about being prepared and about, hey, if you felt yeah, over the you last month. did you send it month, around in big pelican boxes and stuff like that? The last one I did, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the, the two before that I sent around in like a more of a cardboard type box. Mm. But then I needed up my game. <laughs> Always got to be moving that ball forward. So the last one came out in the Pelican case, and I'm working on this uh, this next one right now. How that's gonna come out? Just that's and it's just in, bl- in the blood, right? Is the in next the blood. one. Yep, in the you blood. You better comes send out me May. something. I'm sending. Like oh yeah. To in the blood. With you're what getting. We do. You're gonna get the special package for sure. <laughs> yep, you'll get the special package for sure that I'm working on. So as you've gotten more famous, again, dare I say, you're getting famous. Okay. Have you not had people intersect? Because you're dealing now with publishers, you're dealing with screenwriters, you're dealing with writers' rooms, you're dealing with executive directors, you're probably dealing with more management-type people that are managing you, quote-unquote. 
anybody come into those circles and say, hey, Jack, that hunting stuff, it needs to, you need to watch out for that kind of stuff? Surprisingly, no. Really? And uh, a lot of the people that are uh, like my agent or you know, and New York Publishing is uh, traditionally very uh, left-leaning and many mm -hmm. of them don't, uh, I would venture that many of the people in the Simon & Schuster building do not hunt. Right. Uh, it, uh, I don't think that's a stretch. To, uh, I've never, I haven't asked everybody, of course. Um, but no one has come to me, uh, and even before that, no one on the creative side of the house said, hey, you might want to tone some of this down in the books. Right, and I right. didn't know stepping That's into awesome. this new space. I had no idea. Do you think it's different with an author? Like you just said a book in the book. And I guess my mind never went that way. Because you can really say anything you want in the book. Because it's fiction. Yep. Right? Yep. And everyone's going to take it as fiction. But if Jack Carr posts a picture about hunting a buffalo in Nyasa, that's different because that's reality. And all of a sudden, they are, they they figured out that Jack Carr is actually a hunter. But it's connected. So for me, and I think other authors really do have, have thought about this or have had managers that have told them to steer clear. Or a lot of them actually oh, don't hunt. Or they don't they don't shoot. And they just kind of... It's connected to the aura of who you are and what you've built and this brand that is exactly. you. Exactly. It's weird saying a brand, but I mean, that's what... <laughs> you know, but that's... I've said mean, a number of weird things. Yeah. Mainstreamer, famous, <laughs> brand, yeah. you know? But it is, and it's, uh, I mean, it's connected to me, and that's what has uh, really resonated with an audience that uh, Simon & Schuster or publishing in general hasn't seen in a while. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of that social media presence, yep. um, because there are those touch points with reality, whether it's in the SEAL teams, and I'm describing an ambush, you know, a totally fictional ambush, but yep. I'm thinking about what it was like to be in an actual ambush, uh, or what it was that like to take an actual sniper shot. Well, that's in a fictional thriller. Uh, and people want to... I think have other touch points with you these days and social media allows us to yep. have that. So even if someone is, let's say anti-hunting or whatever, they appreciate the authenticity and the work that went in to one getting that animal mm -hmm. and then being able to uh, leverage that into the novel, uh, whether it's feelings, emotions, the actual experience itself, um, but they're reading something that's not just a figment of someone's imagination or a regurgitation of something mm -hmm. that that author read or heard from someone or watched on TV yeah, once yeah, yeah, or yeah. saw in a movie or whatever it is. It's like they, just like the gear, um, the most, I mean, I shouldn't say that most, but some authors, they don't really have a connection with gear, with guns, with knives, sure. um, but uh, but I do, mm -hmm. and I can use those things as tools to develop my characters. It's not Absolutely. just that I go on and p type Navy SEAL knife right. and see what pops up, and then <laughs> say, oh, that one looks cool, <laughs> and it doesn't even, like, wouldn't you, it's a guy in a suit, he's wearing a, you know, a big Rambo knife or right. something like that. No, it's stuff that I that I know, mm. and it has been a part of me uh, well before the SEAL teams. I was always a gear person growing up my whole life, but, um, I mean, it, it's a part of me, and that comes out in the novels, and I, I really think that's been a differentiator uh, because it's uh, it's not that common. Yeah. So you talk about the things that you know. Did you grow up hunting? So I grew up with guns. Uh, guns in the house. Go to the range. Thirty thirty. Uh, pre sixty four. Thirty thirty. Old uh, twenty two. Uh, another Colt. Uh, twenty two Colt Woodsman. Uh, so we would shoot. My you're family. Talking, by the way, you're talking to the most sort of naive. Uh, gun bullet individual you'll probably ever meet. Okay. Oh, really? I know I have a 270. Okay, there you go. And I think I, that's the width of the caliber. You know, I'm I'm that 
I'm that naive. Got it. Okay. Okay. So when you start saying all these colors, I'm shaking my head. I'm going, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah." Older guns. Uh, So my dad's uh, and and his uh, parents' generation type of of firearm. Okay. Uh, Kind of from the, like, let's say the 1920s up to the the early 60s. But dad didn't Uh, hunt? No, no. So didn't hunt. I always wanted to, though. I had this, I had this, I was drawn. You had this thing that was in your blood. Yep. So we fished. Mm Mm-hmm. I always wanted to hunt. I look at my friends that were going out hunting, and I always wanted to go with them. Um, but it was just our, our family just didn't didn't do that. Um, so then my I think my first my first my real hunt mm-hmm. um, I quote unquote was uh, in the SEAL teams for sniper sustainment in uh, twenty and two thousand. Uh, so up in Washington State, uh, deer hunt up there, <laughs> three hundred one mag. Um, got a great deer, hung it in the tree. You know, it's hanging there. It's cold out, and we're slicing pieces off and searing it on the grill. And I was oh, just fantastic. like, ah, I loved it. <laughs> and uh, and then um, September eleventh happened. Not long after that, so a uh, a different kind of hunting. Which there are a lot of similarities though sure. between hunting For people sure. and, and hunting animals. There's yep. no doubt about that. And I I weave that into the novels as well. But uh, but then a couple of years later these different foundations started doing these hunts for seals and kind of a, like events like we're at now yeah, and auction yeah, things yeah. off. And, and so then I started, started going and then my daughter got to an age really early, maybe four and saw me watching the outdoor channel. There's a number of years where all we had on in our house was the outdoor channel. <laughs> and, uh, so we'd be watching, you know, Jim Shockey or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and she was naturally gravitating towards it at an early age. And so she saw me leaving, coming back, cooking watching a show uh and i met some of the people at that safari club or wherever else we were and and uh and she wanted to go so she got her first deer at age seven um and going out together with as a family to do these things only has made us closer um but uh then we got we kind of became a hunting family awesome. and went all, all your kids in hunt? on it. So uh, the kids, and we have a middle child with some severe special needs. So yeah, yeah, he does, yeah, uh, yeah. he does not, but, uh, but our youngest and, uh, and my oldest and uh, my wife. And so we, we hunt and for a while, all we were eating were, was wild game. Um, cause we were hunting so much, especially as I was getting out, sure, started sure, taking sure. advantage of some of this leave that I built up over the previous 16, right. 17, 18 years. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, now we have steaks and stuff like that, but, uh, <laughs> but for a number of years, all it was, was what I was bringing back. Sure. And we loved it. Absolutely loved it. I mean, we felt healthy. We had that connection. We mm-hmm. talked about where I got it or mm-hmm. where my wife got it or my daughter got it. Mm-hmm. That's the best with my daughter. So she's seven, she's eight, she's nine. And we're talking about how she got this and where we were. And that was like such a great trip. And so she's connected to it again. Another touch nice. point, not just nice. the trip, but being a part of the entire process. process. So um, it's been nothing but uh, but beneficial for the family. And I think... man as a society just having that connection Mm -hmm. to the land and now i see something in the grocery store and you think wow how like people talk about how expensive meat is and i'm like wow how is this only this price because of everything that goes into it uh, to get it there uh, on that shelf for you to then purchase and take home and cook um but uh but yeah we we became a, a hunting family and i've been very fortunate to to, to hunt quite a bit since then and uh, it's just a part of our lives it's just i can't even imagine uh, a, a life or a, a family not hunting mm-hmm. together well one of the things that i i told so i think it was through an instagram message or whatnot so i said to you i said one of the things that we're going to talk about is a special place that both of us have been to it's a place called Niassa in mozambique and to set this up i want to tell you my history in Mozambique, because I don't think you know how intricately my family is tied into Mozambique. Oh. 
So my grandfather took the family from Germany in 54, and he immigrated to then Portuguese East Africa, Lorenzo Marx. And he opened up an import-export company. And he was a hunter, huge hunter, my grandfather. And my father that arrived was an eight-year-old boy. So by the time late 50s, early 60s, my grandfather connected with the first hunting concession that there is in Mozambique and was called Safari Landia. Safari Landia was run by a Belgian, no, a German baron called Werner von Albensleben. Werner had two PHs that are probably the most famous uh, elephant contract PHs. They were elephant contract hunters. Okay. And then they, the elephant ivory trade contract hunting uh, was taken away. Mm. And so they became professional hunters. And that was Harry Manners and a guy called Wally Johnson. I think I saw a couple books, actually, as Correct. I was wandering so the floor. Harry Manners has a book called My Last Kumbaku. Uh-huh. My grandfather has a book called My Last Kumbaku, no published way. by Roland Ward Press. And so those three guys and Werner hunted in the Save River. It's Kutadas 9. And um, the stories that came out of the bush with these guys, right? So my, I'll, I'll show you a photograph once cool. we finish getting off of this, but... My grandfather and his... Actually, I can, I can find it as I'm going through this. My grandfather and Werner loved buffalo hunting. And that's why I'm, I'm perfect, because of Nyasa. And they would use 416 Rigby. That was their, that was their caliber of choice. Open sights. Um, no, no scope. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then one day, Werner had an idea. Hmm. Verna was like, hey, Leo, Leo is my grandfather, and he hunted everything, leopard, elephant, buffalo, but he never killed his namesake, so he never killed a lion, and uh, he, Verna said, hey, I've seen these Maasai guys, got these long stabbing spears, we need to get some stabbing spears, and we need to go hunt a buffalo with these spears. <laughs> so I'm showing uh, Jack a picture of Verna von Alvesler and my grandfather. That's on a buffalo, but look at that buffalo. The buffalo is a proper tank of a buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you don't know about the story is the buffalo is actually blind in his left eye, and that's how they got up to no him. No kidding. And we're close enough to get to spear an African Cape buffalo. No kidding. But look, it's old school safari, right? Yeah, These yeah. guys just lived in the bush for three, four, five weeks at a time. Jeez, look at that. That is amazing. And so those are the... Sp- oh. That is yeah, wild. they made these huge pig spears, essentially. That is amazing. Yeah, that is just huge. Just because they were like, well, let's just try hunting these things a different way. Like and this is the heyday of Africa, yeah, right? Yeah. This is the 60s. My, grand, my father was a camp boy. His job every morning was to go out and kill an impala, bring it back so that they had fresh liver and onions and garlic for breakfast every morning. I love that stuff. Oh, man. Look at like They got some backup rifles, though. So that oh, was no, smart. for sure. And, uh, and I love, look at that old camera there. And look at that watch. Mm-hmm. Man, that Old is cool. School. Yeah, I love it. So I tell me, what brought, what took you to, so to set it up, Nyasa. Nyasa is in northern Mozambique, and it is like premier wilderness place. It also has a devastating history when mm-hmm. it comes to poaching and elephants. It had a very, very strong elephant population at one time and then went into a significant poaching issue. Now is a, essentially a jewel, a god, a jewel surrounded by hunting concessions and it's a wildlife paradise. And it's, uh, you felt like you were in old Africa. 
like you felt like there's you know there's no fences you're out there you're flying in and it's not like you're just flying in for the experience or to make right. it more convenient you're flying in because you have to fly in yeah and you see a lion and you're like mm. yeah you're a proper lion you've eaten him you've probably oh, yeah. eaten humans you just do what you do that what lions do and those lions look like they're I mean, they look like they live in the bush. They don't look like the ones that you see on TV or at the zoo. Like, they're going through that bush. So all that, all those brambles and everything's just catching in their manes and everything. And they're just like, they're mean looking. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. Um, So, yeah, so it it all started with my character. My character at the end of the first book needed to go somewhere to learn to live again. And because of where he's located at the end of that first book and how he's getting there, there's only a few places that he can go. Um, so I have a starting point and then I can look at that map and I have to take him on a journey. And this is another one that going back to Simon and Schuster and what they allowed me to do, the smart thing to do would just be to start another book, do something very similar to what I did in the first book and, uh, just tell another story that changes the, uh, changes the United States to Russia or Europe or whatever, I do the same thing. But, uh, I thought that would be disingenuous to everybody that, uh, spent time with my character in that first book. Uh, he needed to go on this journey mm-hmm. of uh, of redemption, learning to live again, finding that next passion, the next mission, just like anybody does in life, whether they're changing jobs or getting a divorce, death of a loved one, doesn't have to be leaving the military or special operations and moving into the private sector, uh, any sort of a transition. Um, and so he's on a boat, and I looked, and I thought, okay, well, there's Europe, there's the Med, there's Africa, all right, there's West Africa. All right, what if he hit that and then overlanded across maybe or hmm. anyway, so I and I'd been coming to these shows for years. I'd been to Africa at that point twice for to hunt. Okay. Once for the military um, and then once uh, on my own or twice on my own. Okay. uh, Before that. So I'd been to Africa a couple of times, but uh, but only hunting there. But never Mozambique. um, But never Mozambique. No. Uh, So I'd never been there. Mm -hmm. Uh, My character needed to go someplace that was wild. Mm -hmm. He needed to go off the grid. Mm -hmm. Uh, That meant old Africa. And I thought, hey, there's no better place than than Mozambique for him to go. There's history there. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tie that history to another character's family. So I just started developing this story. And then luckily I happened to know a couple, a couple sailors and reached out and said, hey, if this guy has this level of experience and uh, has this boat, uh, how would he get to here and uh, so they walked me through it and so anyway it was it was so much fun but point being i was kind of surprised simon and schuster let that stay (laughs) but uh they let me do all they've never said hey you might want to take something out yeah um because it starts a lot slower that second book because he has to go on this journey yeah yeah. um has some flashback sequences in there and all that sort of a thing but he needed to go someplace wild and uh needed to disappear and then I went out there, so I flew out. So I didn't even have a deal for the first book yet. And I'm right. already writing the second one. Because right. uh, John Grisham, he wrote A Time to Kill first. Yep. And he couldn't give that thing away. That's right. And then he writes The Firm, and that takes off. But what if he'd written just that first book and was like, ah, I don't want us to read this. 100%. Like, he'd still be practicing law yeah, somewhere. Yeah, of course, of course. But, uh, he, but any, we've had a John Grisham book. I hear this all the time with every, my wife. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yep, yep, we talked about that. Um, and so now we've had a John Grisham book every year since, uh, since then, since the early 90s. Um, so I always knew I was going to write two. And if both of them didn't work out, didn't find an audience, then I was going to reevaluate my life choices. <laughs> but, uh, but I went all in. So even before I mailed it to Simon & Schuster, I flew off to, uh, to Africa and uh, went there with, uh, with some good buddies. And we went out there. So you went to Kambaku Safaris. Yep. Oh, my goodness. You went yep. into Nyasa. You flew as a little prop plane out of yep. Pemba. That's it. Two and a half hours. Exactly. Huge granite inselbergs, right? Beautiful. I mean, gosh, I mean, it was so incredible. And I, 
I couldn't have written the whole experience better. And I went there with pages of questions. Uh, hey, how do you say this in some of these local dialects? And there's so many different local dialects sure, over there. Sure. It's, uh, you know, um, so I had all those because I didn't know which ones I was going to incorporate or not. And then I had all these history questions, and I was going to take pictures, and I did of uh, the dirt and the rocks and just all the everything like that. Did um, you hunt at the same time? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was uh, the focus was Cape Buffalo. All right. Um, and uh, brought a double rifle, a... Uh, uh, the, uh, a 500-416 Nitro Express from uh, mm -hmm. from Kriegoff. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that old-school African experience. So I took that um, that double rifle, went to FTW Ranch in Texas, went through a week of training with it. Right, and, right, right. Um, you know, luckily, I'm fairly uh, proficient with, with shotguns, and, you know, obviously, double rifle's not a shotgun, but there's some similarities there, um, uh, depending on the shotgun. The, the charging scenarios um, at yep, FTW. Yep, so they have yep. them charge it, and so you're figuring out, you know, what, what, what glove do you wear a hand on? Do you wear on which hand with the double rifle because mm -hmm. it's going to heat up and then how do you do those reloads and and they put you under stress and awesome so no no scope iron sight double rifle very large bullet for people that are listening that's probably the best way to, right. to describe it but old school so i wanted that old school as old school as you can get today um so yeah we went over there at the cape buffalo was the uh, was the focus um of course planes game at, mm -hmm. the, at the same time with my my best friends in the world um, and I'm taking notes I'm taking notes and I'm talking to my PH and they know that I'm writing a book and uh, who was your PH uh, so I Ryan Ryan uh, Cliff yep yep Ryan Cliff the whole time you know that uh, I here's how small our world is I got a WhatsApp message from Ryan Cliff this morning no way yep no kidding yep amazing you saw the world record bushbuck did he send it to you nope looks like a Sitatunga no 22 kidding. and a half inches you don't you may not like this may be this sort of the reverse. You talking about yeah, bullets yeah. and guns, right, me right. talking about inches of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of antelope. <laughs> to me, they all look like shooters. That's why I need Ryan right there. You know, that's why I need him. A, a, a good scoring bushbuck is like fifteen and a half, sixteen, okay. sixteen and a Love half. Love bushbuck. This one was twenty-two and a half. That's crazy. Yeah, crazy. new world record, and Ryan was the pH. Oh, that's crazy. That mm -hmm. is awesome. He's so fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I took a ton of him. And he's in, when you read the PHs in the novel, like, yeah, there's a lot of him in there. And we had great experience with every PH that was over Fantastic. there. Fantastic. But I was with him the, the whole awesome. time. Awesome, awesome. Um, but uh, the other guys made it in as well because I have multiple PHs that I talk about in that novel. But the exact camp that we were in is the one that I write about in the novel. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it, uh, one of our guys got, uh, got a Cape Buffalo like day one. Another guy. Last day, last minute, essentially, of the trip. Mm. Um, I think mine was about on day nine or so, but super old. Oh, and it just showed up. It just arrived at our house in just gigantic box. My wife's like, what is this? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it's such an old guy. Oh, Good. my gosh. We could Good. not have written it better. Yeah, come out of that. Come out of it. We're tracking him, tracking him, and just, uh, uh, like, through some thick stuff and then opens up a little bit. Bam, there he is. And boom, boom. I mean, he was done with the first two. Sure. But, I mean, of course. reload quick, more. So I just kept going until he was done. Just yeah, to keep, exactly. But they're huge animals. Of course. Um, so, uh, yeah. But he, and he, he didn't you go know, far. that's the best thing about Cape Buffalo hunting. And I haven't done it, just to be, set the record straight. I want to. I'm going to do it with a 416 rugby open sights, just like oh, my nice. grandfather did. Perfect. Um, but, you know, you don't do your job. To kill him, he's going to come and kill you. Yeah. That's what makes it that thing about Cape Buffalo hunting. Oh, yeah. 
especially in that thick stuff. And of course, I'm thinking back to all the books I've read, you know, uh, the, the Rourke, the, the Capstick, you know, all these guys. I'm thinking, I'm, think, I'm thinking of all that stuff as I'm going through, and that's all in your head, but you're focused. And there are very few things in life where you can focus like that. Um, being at the edge of a ramp when you're about to jump out of a plane, that's one. Being at the top of a rapid, like in a kayak, when you're about to drop in, um, and uh, being on that being on that hunt right there when you're hunting dangerous game. Like there are, there are very few things in life where you cannot think about anything else. You're not thinking about, oh, did I leave the iron on? No, none of that. You're not thinking about your work and what you need to do when you get back to it. Or you you mm-hmm. are focused on that task at hand and you're moving through mm-hmm. that bush and there's something else out there that wants to eat you. That's so, awesome. uh, yeah, so I felt like it was an old school experience. Did I, I think it would have done it the same way if it was uh, you know 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years 100%. ago? Um, and I just couldn't have written it couldn't have written it better and he was old he was old mm-hmm. it was awesome well i um i'm glad that you could take a piece of like a special place that is africa right that is mozambique this northern place in mozambique and infuse it into your book so that people that would never get the opportunity to go to a place like even though you're writing fiction this is a totally true place mm-hmm. totally wild and people can experience feel it you know, imagine it through your writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we heard you know, the lions roaring uh, at night. And, you know, it's it's interesting when you think about people in the United States that just don't like hunting. That's all. That's all. That's it. Why that's would it. you ever kill something? Right. Okay. But and I'll have a steak tonight. They'll have a steak. And <laughs> they will, uh, as, as soon as their apartment in New York or Los Angeles gets overrun with uh, a rodent of some sort, you know, they're the first people to call the, uh, the exterminator. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but if they don't take that time, and that's why I, I try to encourage people to read as much as I, they possibly can and study their history uh, just to get a better understanding of whatever they are going out to make a snap judgment on based off someone's tweet who probably also didn't put the requisite time, energy, and effort into studying the issue at hand. Um, but picture Africa and a family living in, let's say, a very thin-walled type of a structure uh, and a lion walking by when your five-year-old needs to go out to the restroom in the middle of the night. Right. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a little different. That's very um, different. And... Uh, and then, yeah, of course, the whole conservation piece that, that comes into play and mm-hmm. in studying, hey, what, what is Kenya, Kenya look so much different than South Africa right now exactly. as far as uh, animals go? Uh, why don't the photographers pay as much as the, the hunters to go over there? Right. Um, and uh, and why, it's just there's so much more to it than a, I don't know how many characters you can put in a tweet these days, but it's not that, not right. that many. It doesn't yeah, lend right, itself right, right, to, right. Uh, to thoughtful discourse. Um, but we owe it to those cultures mm-hmm. that we're impacting by our decisions even in this country mm-hmm. to study the issue at hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, we tend not to do that as, mm-hmm. a, as a society for whatever reasons because we have so many inputs, I think, all the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe thinking about that, uh, it's, it might be a little different if you're living, living in Africa and this lion's eating your, well, possibly eating your children. Sure. Um, but uh, maybe eating your livestock. Okay, now what do you do? Mm-hmm. And now how about when the ele- elephants come through and trample all your crops for the year? Now what do you do? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe think that through a little bit more before you just uh, check that box on some sort of an anti-hunting measure. Yeah, 1,000%. 1,000%. Well, look, you've been gracious enough with your time. I know you've been literally talking 
because you were before this you were talking for like two hours straight <laughs> so i appreciate your time i really appreciate okay. the support um oh, absolutely humbled and and grateful for what you say about us and um yeah thank you thank you for for what you do Oh, man, it's an honor. I love what you're doing. Um, and as soon as I saw you pop up on the radar, I was like, who is this guy? You know? <laughs> well, that would look. I'm fanboyed a little bit, too, man. It's like, holy <laughs> shit, Jack Carr just started following us. <laughs> oh, so awesome. No, love what you're doing. You're doing it in such a, a thoughtful, logical way. Appreciate um, it. And, it, I mean, that's really – and we're using these modern platforms to mm-hmm. – to, to reach out to people who will then hopefully put a little more thought if they're not hunters put a little more more thought into into what they're doing and if they are hunters um they're gonna learn a lot they're gonna be better hunters by and better people by listening to, to what you have to say and the guests you have on so you thank know, you we say just like what you just said thought right the thing that's gonna save hunting is thinking mm-hmm. might save uh yeah us as a <laughs> not just not that just hunters but society in general if we uh take a breath and, and think things through a little more that'll be the next podcast there we go Cheers, awesome mate. hey thank you so much appreciate everything yes sir well that's it for today i appreciate you listening as always leave a review share it with your friends and most importantly do what's right to convey the truth around hunting <laughs>